Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Monday, October 23rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions. It's a must-win situation for the Diamondbacks if they'd like to keep the NLCS series going. They have to win tonight. Merrill Kelly gets the start up against Aaron Nola for the Phillies. So the question, will the Diamondbacks win game six at Philadelphia? And this has completely changed from uh, the sports zone and hour one. Yes, now leading the way at 60% of the vote. No trailing at 40%. We will officially provide our answer around 1130 today. Tossing it on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Have you lost interest in the one-win Arizona Cardinals? And we now find ourselves in a 50-50 split between yes and no. We'll dive into the Cardinals here momentarily. Just want to uh, remind you, if you'd like to chime in, whether it is about Major League Baseball playoffs, the Cardinals, college football, or the NFL weekend, we'll take phone calls today around 11.15 in this hour, 602-260-1060. All right, so it is the Cardinals' discussion point here, and they fell to the Seahawks 20-10. to They are now 1-6 on the season. A couple of things to address right away. Rookie cornerback Garrett Williams, he was activated and he played for the first time. He made an impact with an interception in the red zone. Buda Baker was activated, returned from IR. He also played. And when we were trying to figure out running back by committee, Imari DiMercato did a great job of stepping in for James Conner, had hardly any touches uh, in the Rams game. He was the starting running back yesterday with 13 carries for 58 yards. Yeah, I don't quite understand what's going on with between Wilson and DeMarcado, or I don't know what's how they decide what's going on with these guys from week to week. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm baffled, quite frankly. So we'll see. You know, as far as yesterday goes, their pass protection was awful. Uh, DJ Humphreys got ejected. He hasn't been, quite frankly, very good this year when he's been out there. Uh, at least not to the standard that we've seen for him in the majority of his career, which has been certainly above average. Uh, Paris Johnson had a bad game yesterday. and That's the first bad game he's had since week one at, at uh, Washington. Josh Dobbs for a third consecutive game was not accurate. Um, not to the blatant attempt uh, or the blatant uh, level, I should say, of uh, the week before when he missed you know, Hollywood Brown for a couple of huge plays, but – yeah, he just was not accurate again. So this is kind of what we thought we had with Josh Jobs before he came here, quite frankly, or when he came here. And maybe he just kind of got hot for whatever for two or three weeks there. And then the fake punt was – that was one of the more confounding coaching decisions I've seen in football this year, college, pro, local, or national. I don't know what the hell – that that play had zero chance to succeed, none. Yeah, that was interesting because 
that type of play, you're obviously trying to have an element of surprise. The Seahawks certainly covered it up. They weren't surprised. They matched up right away. And then the pass pattern didn't even go to the line of scrimmage that was needed. It was a four-yard pass, and you needed nine yards. So the whole thing ended up being a a disaster. I I think probably needed to call timeout there and then either decide to go for it with an offensive play or punt. Punt. I mean, just call timeout. Take or don't even call timeout. Just take a delay game. That has to be, if the if, you know if the, if that guys if there's not guys on that side of the field, run with the play because it might work. Might work. Still have to have an accurate pass and a catch, etc. But it might work. There was no chance that play was going to work. So just take the delay game penalty and punt. And, you know, it's not like Seattle was marching up and down the field. Geno was doing everything humanly possible to try to lose the game for Seattle. Uh, His second red zone pick in two weeks after he had zero last year. And he missed a bunch of open receivers that could have made this game not particularly close. But, you know, that's – you know, they had a chance, and uh, you know maybe uh, technically they had a chance, or you know whatever. I never really thought they were going to win the game, but Gino kept the Cardinals in the game. Yes, he did. Uh, that was a really, I know I highlighted there, Garrett Williams being in the right place, playing, uh, you know, g- good coverage there, but it was a terrible decision by Gino to throw that ball in the first place. He also had a fumble, and all the Seahawks lost the turnover battle uh, with three turnovers, but the Cardinals only had three points off of turnovers, so that's not uh, capitalizing on mistakes from the Seahawks. Kenneth Walker, 26 carries for 105 yards. Uh, So they were able to, uh, I I guess, have some opportunities there on the ground game. You mentioned the offensive line. I thought that this might have been one of the worst offensive line performances that we've seen so far. The offensive line really hasn't been a topic of conversation. They've seemed to hold up pretty well. Scheme, et cetera, has all kind of prevented uh, them being a major topic of discussion. Discussion maybe with what we had thought going into the season here, but uh, Josh Dobbs was sacked four times, eight quarterback hits, and it seemed like he was under pressure a lot. 19 of 33 for him, 146 yards. I agree. I'll go back to Geno for a second. He missed two open receivers for touchdowns. Uh, so, you know, that was in addition to the boneheaded decision and the, the pass interception in the red zone, which would have given him a two score lead at that time had they just kicked the field goal. Uh, so that was uh, you know, even more foolish at that point. But uh, you know, back to the offensive line thing. I've never quite bought into this offensive line at any point this season, quite frankly, in large part because DJ Humphreys has not played what he's, you know, what we're accustomed to seeing. Uh, the the two guards in the center, uh, you know, Wilkerson is he doesn't even play all the time when he is active, and he wasn't even active yesterday. Uh, that's been, I think, an issue really during the season that I probably haven't talked about enough. I have some. Uh, so I've never quite bought the offensive line thing at any point this season, quite frankly, that they're anything above average. And I don't think they really even have been above average. 
Head coach Jonathan Gannon said post-game, good hard-fought game, didn't make enough plays to win, couple turning points in the game. You give them credit. They made some plays there. I thought we battled. I just told them in the locker room we have to battle a little bit harder, but like the fight from them, and we'll go back to work tomorrow. Uh, In addition to that, he was asked about uh, some of the lack of scoring in really some prime positions on the field. We just got to find some rhythm there. Credit to Seattle's defense. You know they're a good defense, but got to find some rhythm in the run game a little bit because we made some plays in the run game. We just have to be a little bit more consistent. Consistent, And the pass game takes all 11. We got to do a better job throwing the ball. Well, you can just keep those quotes. I think that that's just, those are from this week or last week or the week before. It's the same stuff every week. Uh, they're just not getting good, quite frankly. And are they going to win another game the rest of the season? Maybe you know, I'm you know, contemplating a poll question. You know, who's most likely to win another game this season? Arizona, the Cardinals, or Arizona State? And the Cardinals play several more games in Arizona State, so uh, you would hope it's going to be the Cardinals. But look at their two schedules and tell me where you think they're they're, they're not going to be favored to win any games either of them the rest of the season. Uh, One other quote here from Jonathan Gannon when he was asked about the fake punt. He said, yeah, just a call I made. Credit to them. They made the play, and you got to live with those decisions. But I liked the call, and ultimately that's on me. We didn't get it done. Yeah, he's blowing smoke here. I mean, this was uh, something that they obviously had worked on. But there's got to be a way out of that call. I mean, it was obvious, and Jonathan Vilma pointed out you know, during the broadcast that this had, this play had no chance to succeed. You just got to, you know, it's not going to work. It's just Don't try it. Just punt it and uh, you know, either take a timeout or delay a game, one or the other. Uh, but, you know, that was just a stupid decision. Uh, and uh, I think that this is, this is all in the head coach. And rarely have I said this about him this year. Uh, but you know, Gannon, if somebody, there should be, when you go to the line of scrimmage and start that play, if there's you know, people on the other side of the field where the ball is coming, you cannot run that play. You mentioned Jonathan Vilma there. I thought he is uh, he did a great job analyzing the game and really breaking things down. He was enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, he's been. I think it's three straight games, right? I think uh, the Cardinals. Uh, it's the the uh, Kenny Albert, Jonathan Vilma show, and I think they're both really good. Uh, the thing, whenever I see Jonathan Vilma, I think of him back in Sun Devil Stadium when the Cardinals played there, uh, when the Jets were playing against the Cardinals, and uh, there's like twenty thousand people there, and like nineteen thousand of them were Jets fans, and the Jets had the lead in like the last minute or two of the game. And Jonathan Vilma led a chant from the bench, the Jets bench. He stood up on the bench and got them to do the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets thing in Sun Devil Stadium. That's the first thing I think of whenever I see him. Tossing this on over to the Seahawks side of things. I mean, you had Greg Bell on the program on Friday. You asked him about Geno Smith and whether we're starting to see some of those uh, qualities that had forced him to the bench to be a backup for for some time. Are they starting to creep into his game a little bit more this season? And the, the kind of sentiment from Greg was, well, I don't know if we can fully evaluate that because of the offensive line issues. But I think yesterday's game seemed to really kind of 
bring home for me that the decision making uh, is not quite what it was last year for Gino. It was worse last week at Cincinnati when they had all the red zone non-scoring issues and yeah, he lost that game for them. He lost that game for him. He tried to lose the game yesterday. Uh, you know, the, the, I know that they've won four out of five games now. They're not playing well. I mean, their defense has been really good. Uh, but they're, uh, you know, who would have guessed at this part of the season that their defense would be better than their offense? DK Metcalf didn't play yesterday, but I think they got some really good play from the other receivers and not Bobo. just Lockett. Yeah, and uh, Smith and Jigba was you know, part of the offense more than it, he has been all year long uh, at that point. You know, Bobo was a Washington State kid, I think, uh, but he made a couple of plays. But you know, the, the fact that their defense is – that's why they're winning games and their offense has been kind of what's going on here. And uh, you know, Geno was not a starting quarterback for like a decade. That's not, not, not stretching. I think there's about a, you know, seven or eight years. Uh, now maybe we're finding out why he wasn't a starting quarterback. Remember, he wasn't their starting quarterback in Seattle to start the preseason last year. And one of the reasons he got the job is because, you know, Locke got COVID. That was, a, you know, and during the preseason, those two guys were running together and getting the same number of reps until Locke got COVID and Gino got the job and he had a tremendous year. So the Cardinals are sitting at one in six. They'll turn their attention to the Ravens coming to town this Sunday. We'll also continue to monitor Kyler Murray's rehab process as his 21-day window has been open. On the other side of the break, though, we'll dive into more from around the NFL. We'll also take your phone calls if you'd like to chime in. 602-260-1060 is the number. More NFL discussion and your calls next here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. James Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDUS AM 1060 and the KDUS 1060 app. Eleven twenty-one, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays. Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's continue some NFL discussion here, and we'll go with the Sunday night game to start things off. Eagles back on track with a 31-17 win over the Dolphins. The Dolphins had just one offensive touchdown, struggled to get the ground game going. Raheem Mostert, nine carries, 45 yards. Tua, 23 of 32, 216 yards, one touchdown and one pick, and the interception was just completely floated up there for Darius Slay to get underneath it. Um, I am a little questioning this, this statistic, though. How could this have possibly happened? The Dolphins had 10 penalties for 70 yards, and the Eagles ended the game with no penalties. There was also a missed face mask call there on on the game. Uh, Anyway, the A.J. Brown, he continues to be huge for the Eagles in that wide receiver group. 10 catches, 15 targets, 137 yards. You're right about the face mask thing, but I don't think there's any doubt that those penalties on the Dolphins were penalties on the Dolphins. I mean, they could have had more, quite frankly. They had at least one pass interference penalty, uh, against Smith that would have been a huge play. Now, Smith has not exactly caught the ball for the last two weeks on every pass that's been thrown to him, so maybe he would have dropped it. Uh, but that should have that would have been like a God knows how. You know, that might have been like a 50-yard touchdown. 
uh, assuming he caught the ball. Uh, a couple things here. Uh, you mentioned the uh, rock, lack of a running game. Well, when you don't have your left tackle, and that's the four straight games that Teron Armstead has now not played, and also starting center Connor Williams did not play in this game. He was inactive. And then the first or second drive of the game, I don't recall exactly which it was in the first quarter, uh, Isaiah Wynn got overpowered and injured his ankle, and he didn't come back. So that's your left guard, your left that left tackle, and your starting center who basically didn't play in the game. Uh, so that uh, hurt them on that side of the ball. David Long is a really good linebacker. He's been with Tennessee forever. He's been at Miami this year. He suffered a concussion in the second half, and he didn't come back. Uh, the offense, as you mentioned, just scored 10 points in this game. But how good are the Dolphins? I've been actually raising this question for a while. And luckily, I could profit off of this last night when the point spread was, you know, still under a touchdown, or excuse me, under a field goal. Uh, the t- heading into yesterday, the teams that the Dolphins had beaten this year were five and twenty-four. The two good teams that they faced, assuming that people think Buffalo is still a good team, pretty much physically man- manhandled them on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think that there's a case to be made here that, uh, you know, not having their offensive line intact is certainly an issue, uh, but just kind of wondering about that physicality because we talk about how dominant the Eagles' fronts are, both on the offense and defensive side of the ball, and at some point they just kind of took over. And Buffalo did the exact same thing when they played earlier this season. And uh, yeah, Buffalo's pass rush sometimes is there and sometimes it's not, but it sure was there that day. Uh, and uh, you know there was one long Mostert run, if I remember correctly, in that Buffalo game. But if you take that run out, they didn't run the ball in that game either. The Ravens. They flex dominance over the Lions here, 38 to 6. Lamar Jackson, 21 of 27, 357 yards, three touchdowns. It was 28 nothing at half. The Ravens' defense forced three straight three and outs. I have a feeling that the reality of the situation here is that the Ravens aren't as good as what came out of that game on Sunday, and the Lions aren't as bad as what came out on that on that Sunday. Not only was it 28 nothing at halftime, it was 28 nothing before the Lions had a first down in the game. Uh, I think it's premature. I think it was premature to say that the Lions were amongst the elite teams in the NFL. I don't think that they're, yeah, bad. But uh, I heard them put into the, you know, the top two or three team category in some power rankings last week, which I thought was just kind of jumping the gun a little bit. I would assume this uh, kind of scaled that back some. As far as the Ravens, they're 5-2 when they've scored 25, 24 more points. They're 0-2 when they don't. Uh, they have a defense. They've allowed double digits, or excuse me, single digits in three games this year. And, uh, you know, the red zone touchdowns, which was uh, an issue the week before when they were in London when they were terrible and Tucker kicked six field goals. Yesterday, five red zone possessions and five touchdowns. I think what was surprising to me, we know about some of these Lions injuries, certainly in the secondary, and we had to wonder, like, at some point, are they going to become an issue here for the Lions team? But what was more surprising, I think, was just the defensive front. We've been certainly talking about their defensive front being uh, so good, so dominant at times, and they just were uh, on their heels. Yeah, I haven't quite been on the defensive front bandwagon like others. Aiden Hutchinson's had some really good games. He's had a couple of other games where he's been missing in action when he's been out there. And yesterday was another one of those games. 
So moving on to the Browns beating the Colts 39 to 38 to Sean Watson. He started, but he got hurt, didn't return. P.J. Walker in Miles Garrett. Goodness gracious, he is unreal, even though this Browns defense gave up 38 points to the Colts. He still had two strip sacks, a blocked field goal, which he leapt over a whole line to basically be standing there in front of uh, the kicker before he kicked the ball to block that. He's just incredible. He absolutely has to be probably the front runner for defensive player of the year. PJ Walker, though, he fumbled late, but a DPI penalty got called, negated the turnover, moved it to first and goal, and eventually they scored on fourth and goal. They did. They finally ran the ball, which I didn't understand why they didn't do that before that fourth and goal play. But whatever, it worked in the end. Uh, you know, the Watson thing, you know, was, uh, you had the rotator cuff. We assumed, uh, I think we, uh, yeah, actually before we left the air on uh, last Friday, we mentioned that uh, he was expected to start. He did. Suffered uh, what looked like to be a concussion. Well, they put him in concussion protocol, and then they cleared him from that. But he also had a shoulder thing, so there's some speculation today whether they held him out for the rest of the game because of the shoulder thing. Uh, even though Stefanski did say after the game that he expects Watson to play next week. Uh, so we'll see if that happens or not. Uh, one other quick thing in this game from the Cleveland side of things, Jerome Ford had a 68-yard touchdown run. And uh, my prop bet suge- suggested for uh, Mr. Ford from last Friday, that, that worked out okay. Uh, but he was also injured and didn't return in this game after he got hurt. That's correct. Uh, does that penalty, though, bother you at all? The ball, uh, you know, obviously uh, just a lot of these different penalties have kind of been surfacing, negating some plays here and there, and the penalty uh, negating a turnover in this particular situation, giving them first and goal, uh, and it kind of seems like contact was pretty minimal. I have no idea how to judge Ruffin, the quarterback, anymore. Not a clue. No idea. Uh, moving to the Patriots here, they picked up a win 29-25 to over the Bills. It ended up being Bill Belichick's 300th win. Mac Jones, incredibly efficient, 25 of 30, yep. 272 yards and two touchdowns. Conversely, Josh Allen, 27 of 41, 265 yards, two touchdowns and one interception and a fumble. This offense for Buffalo is just really not clicking, and you also have to wonder on the defensive side of the ball how impactful these injuries are catching up to them. Especially Matt Milano. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that they not only miss his production, it's his show. Uh, And it was a little more of a kind of a a combination of Milano and Edmonds uh, in previous years, but Edmonds left via free agency. And it was clearly Milano was in charge of that defense. And uh, since he's left, uh, they certainly haven't been very good. Uh, first time this year that New England scored 20-plus points in a game. Uh, as you mentioned, Mac was very efficient. I thought he made some really good plays, too, and smart plays. In addition, uh, there was no pass rush in this game. So that helps. And I'm not exactly sure how New England went from a horrendous pass-blocking team to a really good one in a week. Uh, but that happened. Uh, Buffalo now four and three on the season. That's the same number of losses that they had all of last year. If I remember correctly, Kayla is under the bills for the win total. So I do. I'm guessing that this is a good thing for you. That was, I'm sure you were happy to see this. That was good in many ways because you're also a Patriots fan. So kind of a double win for you yesterday. Uh, Allen got picked on the first play of the game. 
And then obviously, uh, he was actually pressured in 42% of the dropbacks yesterday. Uh, so New England not only pass protected, they also got a pass rush. So I'll tell you how that pass protection happened. Dante Scarnecchia was in the house. He was being oh, honored. He, he rang the bell or whatever they call that thing. What yeah. They, what they call the, that the, before the game starts. Correct. And then he was also yeah. part of the halftime ceremony that honored him okay. and Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So was he actually coaching? No, he wasn't. Okay, just checking. Well, they changed their left right tackle, who has like been the worst right tackle in football. I know he didn't. He was not in the right tackle spot yesterday. But I think for the Bills here, this certainly brings up a lot of question marks. Uh, just about you know what they can fine tune on offense to uh, really sustain some drives, get some points on the board. Uh, it's been sh- struggles now for several weeks in a row. And, you know, obviously we discussed the injuries and there's nothing they can do on the injury side of things on the defensive side of the ball, but certainly on the offensive side of the ball, they aren't clicking. And they got a killer schedule. Uh, at one point here, they have a schedule stretch that is, let me find it here. I swear I'll find it here. Uh, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Dallas, and the Chargers. Well, the Chargers suck. But those first three teams there, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Dallas, that's a three-week stretch. Actually, that's a three-game stretch for them over a four-week stretch because there's a bye in between there. Moving on to the Steelers coming away with a 24-17 win over the Rams. Fourth and one, quarterback sneak, Kenny Pickett. He was clearly short, but was spotted a first down. The Rams had he no... Is, he is short. <laughs> so. uh, the Rams, they had no timeouts left, so they couldn't challenge because it was on the other side of the two-minute warning. Uh, so they were able then to run out the clock for the Steelers' victory here, moving Tomlin uh, in the Steelers to four and two, and Tomlin's reign uh, continuing after bye weeks remaining a thing. Stafford threw a terrible interception to T.J. Watt in this contest as well. Cooper Cup, just two catches, 29 yards, a couple of drops for him, but Puka picked up the slack with eight catches on 154 yards. Yeah, completely opposite of the Rams from last week uh, when they dominated the Cardinals in the second half. They actually led at halftime 9-3, but they did nothing in the second half of this game. It was a home game for the Steelers in Inglewood, which is pretty much the case for whether it's the Chargers or the Rams when they play in Inglewood. There's a, you know, it's usually not a home game for them. Uh, but the, uh, the Steelers go on a 14-0 explosion in the fourth quarter. Uh, so they're now one of seven AFC teams that have at least four victories. I don't think the pick was very good this game. I know that there were some plays in the fourth quarter that he made, but you know, heading into that fourth quarter, he and they had abysmal offensive numbers. Harris and Warren actually were somewhat effective at the line of scrimmage, both of them. That's a nightmare for fantasy owners and prop bet bettors everywhere in the world. Uh, Deontay Johnson did come back and play. Remember, he was active for the first time, the first week off the injured reserve. He did play. He made a couple of plays, and then he made the, the dumb-ass play that almost lost him the game. Uh, but he, he, he didn't get in the end zone again, of course, because he's Deontay Johnson, and Kenny Pickett can't figure out how to throw a touchdown to Johnson, which he didn't do all last year and didn't do yesterday. I, I think uh, Mike Tomlin said after the game that obviously that some of that aggression is going to have to be tamed down, but he would rather have oh. them have that aggression uh, and teach them, whoa, 
whoa, as opposed to go sick him. It was like something along the lines of his uh, quote. Okay. Well, this is the uh, this is one of the reasons they got rid of Claypool uh, because they couldn't put up with all his crap. And uh, you know, I, you know, Johnson's I think more talented player, quite frankly, than Chase Claypool was. But they couldn't put up with Claypool anymore. And if Johnson continues these shenanigans, they'll just move on from him too. Broncos hold on to win 19-17 to over the Packers. Uh, these slow starts for Green Bay continue to be puzzling. No points in the first half. And clearly, I think at this point, Jordan Love, not the answer, long-term answer at quarterback for the Packers. That's kind of what I have down here. <laughs> in fact, I'll, I'll read exactly what I have down here. Uh, is Jordan Love is Jordan Love a starting NFL quarterback? The Packers have the rest of this season to decide. Then I have in parentheses many bad decisions and questionable accuracy into the parentheses. Yeah, the accuracy has been a little mind-boggling. Uh, there's a several-game sample size now where there have been wide-open receivers. He's not hitting him in a position where they can catch and run. They're having to make crazy adjustments to, to catch the ball. So that's obviously not a good starting point. I'll add one other quick thing about this game for the Packers. Looking ahead, they lost 50% of their starting secondary in like a three-play three stretch in the second half, and Savage and Stokes did not return. The Giants, 14-7 to win over the Commanders. Sam Howell sacked six more times. Howell now has been sacked 40 times on the season. Daniel Jones is second on the list with 28, and Justin Fields third on the list with 24. Well, what's really amazing is because the Giants for the season had five sacks total. Exactly. Uh, before, before yesterday. Uh, obviously, we talked about the offensive line for the uh, for the Commanders before they played the Cardinals in week one. And if now we look back at that game, I think you can make a pretty good case that that's really the only game the Cardinals have had a pass rush this season. They certainly made some hay in that particular contest. And then for the Falcons getting a game-winning uh, field goal, but the question marks for everyone, fantasy owners, prop bettors alike, where was B. John Robinson? Ill. Uh, so hopefully that was the case. And uh, he only had one snap, and that was actually in the last drive. This is a poster game of why this is uh, the product of the NFL this year has been down. These are two teams playing for first place. There are two mediocre teams with average at best quarterbacks on both sides of the ball, and both those quarterbacks, I thought, played poorly yesterday. Desmond Ritter, yet again, taking points off the board with a fumbled snap in the red zone. Whether it's interceptions, fumbles this season, it, it hasn't been clean. He does some stupid stuff, too. Poll question time on the other side of the break here on KDOS AM 1060. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Eleven forty-one here on KDUS AM 1060 on this Monday, October twenty-third. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It's time to get into the poll questions for the day. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which involves the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's a must-win situation for the D-backs. A game six in Philadelphia against the Phillies. Will they win today, Bob? Yes or no? 
Well, we had this question on Thursday and Friday, and I was wrong on both of those games. If we actually were, if we did a show on Saturday, I would have been right about that particular game. But it's been five games in this series so far, and I've thought that the Phillies were going to win them all, and I think they're going to win today too. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, the betting market has not been on the Diamondback side of things very often this season, even in the best days, uh, even early in the season. Uh, really the first half of the of the season when they were winning games on a far more regular basis than they were in the second half. But the market has never quite bought into them, so I'm not surprised that the market is uh, not on the Diamondbacks' side here. This game opened at 165 on Saturday night, and I uh, saw as high as 190 uh, earlier today, and it's pretty much a consensus, at least in the state of Nevada, sitting at 170 right now as far as uh, NOLA against Kelly. But it's really difficult to win in Philadelphia, especially when Nola or Wheeler pitch. Also, I think it does help the Phillies a little bit that they've had a chance to rest their bullpen. I think the biggest question about this game, if they have a lead uh, in the 7th, 8th, ninth innings, do they actually you know, put Craig, uh, Craig Kimbrell back in there? Because obviously the two games the Diamondbacks won, uh, they basically beat him. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> The Diamondbacks here in a game six, a must-win situation at Philadelphia. I mean, Merrill Kelly, I look at how he performed in game two, and I think he pitched well. You know, there were a couple of mistakes there, and when you go up against bats like Schwarber and Harper, they can easily make you pay. But overall, uh, just looking at the result of 10-0, I think does not do it justice for how Merrill Kelly pitched in that particular situation. So finding ways, though, to keep Schwarber from taking you yard I uh, have to figure it out have to try not to make that mistake to him uh, in addition to that here the start of the lineup for the Phillies is just so relentless so it's always a daunting task when it gets turned over and you're going up at the start of that lineup here so how can the offense for the Diamondbacks help provide some support uh, early offense for the Diamondbacks I think has to be key here you're going up against Aaron Nola though who has been incredibly impressive so far uh, pitching at home for the Phillies. I'm also interested to know that if the Diamondbacks are able to get some runners on base early, if they change up the strategy and be a little bit more aggressive on the bases, if Corbin Carroll is able to get a, a walk or a hit or a single or something, does he try to steal? Does he try to force the hand a little bit more uh, of these Phillies? We have not seen that in certain opportunities up until this point. Uh, in addition to that here, I was on the Diamondbacks in Game 3 and Game 4. It just seems to be something about them this season that when they get put into situations where we start to uh, change our opinion about them, they come striking right back and they find a way. And they've been doing it all season long in the regular season and here in this series in the postseason. But... I might be hopping off of that bandwagon and, and that, that thought process here right now because playing in Philly seems to be a totally different situation. I'm not as confident this time around that they're going to be able to force a Game 7. Uh, I really want to say that they win this game, but I think it does end this afternoon. So I mentioned the Kimbrell thing for Philadelphia, also the Diamondbacks, and I've mentioned this uh, throughout the season. Merrill Kelly's had some really dominant games He's also had some games where he's lost command in the strike zone and has you know, not had good games. So that's a, But usually you have a pretty good idea early in the game where you stand with that. So I think that that's a special reason or even more of a reason uh, 
to pay attention early in the game because it doesn't seem like if if he starts well, it doesn't seem like he loses it after that. But if he starts a little shaky, it's kind of a command issue for a large chunk of the game. The masses are on the yes side of things here at 64% of the vote, no trailing at 36%. KDOS1060.com's poll question. Tossing this on over to Twitter, and now I have lost it and I have to find it again. Have you lost interest in the one-win Arizona Cardinals? Uh, You know, I think it's all about perception and perspective about this because I think we all had to go into this season with the expectation that it was going to be challenging uh, and that maybe the way that Joshua Dobbs started his tenure here the play hard mentality close games that we experienced we sort of allowed ourselves to have those good vibes about this team being able to overcome some of those known challenges that we had identified before the season started Uh, I think Maybe what we thought about Joshua Dobbs as a starter in this league is now starting to present itself over the course of the first seven games here. In the end, I think we also are seeing the difference between first half and second half, and I think that those are first half, second half differences for a reason. Uh, Those teams that just have more depth, uh, more ability to hang tough, they they stand strong in the second half and the Cardinals just aren't able to stay with it for the full ball game. Um, for them, they have to stay the course. They have to stay with their messaging because they're trying to build something here. And most of who is on this roster probably is not going to be back uh, next year. So they have to kind of try to implement the core that is going to be remaining and how they're going to be building this process moving forward. We should probably stay supportive, though, uh, because we've known what to expect all season long so we're trying to look for things uh you know what are those coaching decisions are they starting to figure some things out here are we liking different different game plan decisions etc there's other nuances that we can pay attention to uh not necessarily just what we're seeing uh on on the field talent wise although i will say that this maybe takes my answer into a different direction for the NFL as a whole, that I have just been incredibly disappointed with the NFL this season. The quality of play has been really frustrating. Decision-making has been frustrating, whether it's coaches or on the field. And I've just been thoroughly disappointed seven weeks in. Well, I'm going to disagree a little bit that last thing. I actually was pretty much entertained yesterday. The two games that I thought were just kind of a waste of my time were Arizona and Seattle. That game was a torture to watch, and uh, quite frankly, at this point of the season with the Diamond, with the uh, Cardinals, excuse me, if I didn't have to watch them for a profession, I would not watch one down of them playing football. Uh, they're awful. We knew they were going to be awful. It's not going to get any better because they unfortunately have to keep flipping the roster every week because they're just not very good. You mentioned core players. I'm not sure how many guys are on this roster that are core players in the long term. So I think that's uh, you know something that I uh, think that they maybe already determined to some extent, but we'll see. But they're just a bad team to watch. And if I were just somebody uh, that were living in Maricopa County and uh, not a talk show host that has to watch them play, I would not watch them play one down, one down the rest of the year. I'd be done. See you later. Bye. Uh, the masses are in a 50-50 split here on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. 
The Cardinals turned their attention, as I've mentioned, uh, hosting the Baltimore Ravens this Sunday. And we'll also have to continue on monitoring the progress of Kyler Murray. You had mentioned to me in break, and I should probably mention it, that Jay Glazer had reported that Kyler did get some first-team snaps in practice last week. So you have to see how many more first-team reps and snaps he gets this week. Yeah, and also the insiders apparently, a couple of them reported yesterday that he would be playing in uh, two more games, uh, whoever they play that week. The end of the three-week window, that seems to be at least what they say. Uh, NFL Network and ESPN, that would seem to be the timetable for Murray's first start. And certainly Dobbs' performance the last three weeks, I don't think is going to you know, alter that at all because Dobbs has not been good. Wrapping up this Monday edition of Extra Point next. Have you downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Monday, October 23rd edition of the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob, it's thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also our guest today, singular, Major League Baseball postseason update with Zach Kreiser from Yahoo Sports. Went through both series and also Bob Melvin possibly becoming the next manager of the San Francisco Giants. And also, uh, by the way, I won't be here tomorrow, but I'll be back on Wednesday at 9.15. We'll have our weekly fantasy football update a day later than usual. But still, there are some people that have waiver wires on Wednesday, so hopefully we can help those people off with John McKechnie from rotowire.com. And if you have your waiver wire on a Tuesday, we'll tell you whether you did the right thing or not on Wednesday. <laughs> we'll, we'll go through that. But luckily, to, you know, I haven't gone through the entire list yet, but I didn't see that many noteworthy injuries fantasy-wise yesterday in the NFL, not like the week before, which was a disaster uh, with many key injuries. So uh, that's, uh, hopefully less injury talk. That would be uh, very nice for everything, fantasy and non-fantasy football. Sound of the day courtesy of TBS, Fox, FS1, NBC, CBS, and also Tex 105.3, the Rangers flagship in Arlington and the Metroplex in Dallas, etc. Special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Two with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, Monday Night Golf with Ray Adams from 6 to 7, and James Out West from 7 to 8 tonight. Diamondbacks Phillies, Game 6, Merrill Kelly, Aaron Nola, 2.07 p.m. on TBS, Game 7, in the ALCS, it's the Rangers and the Astros, Max Scherzer, Christian Javier, 5.03 p.m. on Fox. 
Monday night football. We haven't touched on that here. The 49ers are in Minnesota taking on the Vikings. Last I saw, 49ers minus 6.5, Vikings plus 6.5, over under at 43. 5.15 p.m. on ESPN. Christian McCaffrey has a slight oblique tear but is uh, planning to play tonight. Debo Samuel, he's out. He's expected to be out for at least two games with a shoulder injury. Trent Williams at last look with an ankle injury was listed as doubtful. Yeah, I think it's been reported this morning uh, by Schefter that he's not going to play Trent Williams. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, uh, the Vikings still have offensive line issues, and they haven't had their offensive line intact for one game this season, and apparently will not have that intact tonight. As for the Phoenix Suns, they start the season tomorrow at Golden State, 7 p.m. on TNT. To get the roster down to 15, the Suns waived-ish Wayne Wright, uh, I believe last week they did that, and then reports yesterday from Adrian Wojnarowski that they're waiving Keon Johnson. Uh, he came over in the three-team trade from Portland, so the Suns roster now down to 15. Wayne Wright, I believe, signed with Portland over the weekend. I think I saw that as well. So uh, two games there in the NBA, the Denver Nuggets and the L.A. Lakers get uh, the early game started. And then the Suns and Golden State going up against uh, former point guard Chris Paul. Yeah, we'll watch the Suns games because we have to watch the Suns games. But, uh, you know, will I watch a regular season game from start to finish this season and not involve the Suns? I would bet against it. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Uh, but anyway, the NBA is getting started this week. Uh, that will uh, conclude things for us here in this Monday edition of the Extra Point. As Bob mentioned, no Sports Zone tomorrow. Returning with the Sports Zone Wednesday, 9 a.m., followed by the Extra Point from 10 to noon. Hopefully, we are discussing some fun things uh, happening and we know the World Series matchups. Uh, uh, we'll know. How about, how about a game seven for the Diamondbacks for tomorrow? That would be great too. That would be so, great. That would yeah, be. Yeah, I'm done. When I'm on Wednesday, hopefully I'm talking about a fun game seven today and a game seven from Tuesday. Yeah, that should be a ton of fun. Also have yeah. a, a, you know, we'll we'll force you into watching the Suns in Golden State, and we'll have a recap of what we think of the new look Suns. Uh, yeah, that's tomorrow night, huh? Yeah, okay. that's tomorrow night. That'll do okay. it for th- over under for Chris Paul minutes in game one. That'll do it for this edition of Extra Point. Talk to you on Wednesday. 